Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thanks for joining me in this regular digital journey back to the 15th and 16th centuries. Because I've been really busy this past week, this episode is going to be short, so apologies in advance for that. This week we are going to talk about the court life in the 16th century. The Tudor dynasty began in the late 15th century and extended for about 120 years, so it's difficult to paint with broad strokes in terms of what was fashionable during the entire dynasty. But certain parts of life stayed constant, and that's what we'll touch on today. Usually when we picture Henry VIII, we picture the corpulent old king in the famous portraits. But as anyone who's watched the Tudors on Showtime the past few years will note, when Henry was young, he was hot. One of his contemporaries wrote that he was, quote, one of the goodliest men that lived in his time, in manners more than a man, most amiable, courteous, and benign in gesture unto all persons. He was also a younger son who had been groomed for life in the church. When his brother Arthur died, suddenly he was thrown into the whirlwind of court life, learning all of the skills necessary for a king who would lead his people into battle. So Henry was well and truly a Renaissance man who was equally comfortable in a jousting tournament or studying the new humanist texts. The court life that his father started evolved and continued to be modernized during Henry's rule. After his father's strict rule, the energetic, youthful, and handsome king avoided governing too much in person, preferring to be out in the countryside, hunting and enjoying enjoying all of the attention of his subjects. Matters of state were often left in the hands of others, most notably Thomas Wolsey, Archbishop of York. Cardinal Wolsey virtually ruled England until his failure to secure the papal annulment that Henry needed to marry Anne Boleyn in 1533. Wolsey was very capable as Lord Chancellor, but his own interests were served more than that of the king. As powerful as he was, he was still subject to Henry's favor, and losing his confidence proved to be his downfall. The early part of Henry's reign, however, saw the young king invade France defeat Scottish forces at the Battle of Folden Field, in which James IV of Scotland was killed, and write a treatise denouncing Martin Luther's reformist ideals, for which the Pope actually awarded Henry the title Defender of the Faith. 
Like all monarchs, Henry enjoyed living a luxurious life, and unlike his father, who was able to leave his son a vast fortune due to his own frugality, Henry happily spent his money on palaces, armies, and lavish court entertainments. Henry inherited the equivalent of about 375 million pounds in today's money, which would be about $600 million, but he died in debt. So how did Henry spend all of his money? Well, certainly armies and the management of government took up a good part of the fortune, but Henry enjoyed a good party as much as anyone else, and as a young 18-year-old with a blushing new bride, Henry jumped into court life with energy, more than making up for the frugality of his father. The court was where Henry displayed his wealth and power. The population of England when Henry inherited the throne was just over two and a quarter million people. At any given time, up to a thousand of them might be at court, which was essentially a traveling temporary city. The people living at court ranged from high-ranking courtiers who were there to advise the king and also be caught up in plots and intrigue and advance their own fortunes, to the servants who cooked, cleaned, guarded the palaces, and laundered the clothing of all the courtiers. Henry liked having a lot of people around him in his court, making him always appear more wealthy and powerful. Not only did it impress his own population and give them confidence in their young king, but it also made him seem stronger to potential foreign enemies. There were always those who were plotting to take over the throne, but if Henry could appear in control of all of the intrigue at court, there would be fewer who would actually act on the plots. An example of how Henry would show off to foreign powers was when, late in his reign in 1546, he entertained the French ambassador and 200 of his companions, plus 1,300 of the English court for six days. That's quite a party. In addition to being the seat of government and intrigue, the court was also the center of fashion, arts, and music. Henry was a talented musician and dancer, even composing several songs. So in the evenings, the court would congregate in the great hall with musicians playing and dancers showing off their fashionable new clothing with styles influenced from France. The dances had set steps and were done as a group, allowing women and men to alternate partners and flirt with each other during the dance. The courtiers who came to court were the wealthiest and most important people in the country. They had to be very wealthy because the costs of being at court were enormous. Not only did they need to leave their own land, in the case of landed nobles, which would mean paying people to look after it, but then you couldn't just show up in court and clothing that might be fashionable in the countryside, but wasn't completely up-to-date and trendy, so you needed to be up on the latest fashions and be able to afford them. The clothing was made from velvet, silks, lace that were decorated with jewels, embroidery, and furs. Certainly not cheap polyester cotton blends, and definitely not clothing you could work in, which was actually an important way that the wealthy people distinguished themselves from the working classes, because you could not work in the clothing that the wealthy people wore. Another cost was that each courtier was expected to give expensive gifts to the king to thank him for his generosity in allowing them to be at court. People went through this expense to be near the king because it was a chance to be noticed and getting good with the royalty. All kings and queens chose their servants from those who were closest to them, and the only way to get close to the monarch was to spend time at court. Though with all the intrigue, life at court was dangerous. Especially in his later years, you never knew when Henry might wake up on the wrong side of the bed 
and you would be in the receiving end of his wrath. Courtiers had their own rooms in the palaces and brought their own servants who would sleep either in the hallways or huddled together in the great hall by the fireplace in the winter. The kitchens would be busy with up to a thousand people attending the king. Hampton Court had three large kitchens. Henry loved showing off all kinds of exotic foods, especially fruits brought back from the Americas. Henry especially loved sweet fruits like strawberries and popularized eating them with cream, which we still do today. In a world without electricity for refrigeration or freezers, cooks used a lot of salt to keep meat from rotting, which made everyone incredibly thirsty all the time. It was specifically outlined how much wine courtiers could have each day and how much beer servants could drink. Water was not seen as a healthy drink, and most everyone drank beer or wine. The only times when monarchs would leave their palaces were during the months when the plague was spreading, or if they wanted to save some money by boarding with one of their subjects, which would cost the lucky noble a fortune, but was still seen as an honor. The noble would have to pay for the court to continue their luxurious lifestyle, which could be incredibly detrimental to their own finances, so the monarchs had to try to not overstay their welcome. Thanks for tuning in this week. The book I'm recommending this week is Henry VIII, The King and His Court by Alison Weir. It's a really good read with a lot of information on what life was like for courtiers during Henry's time. Next week, I'll go into more of the history of Henry VIII. While there is more to Henry than his marriages, since that's often the first thing people think of when they think about Henry VIII, I will go over them briefly so that we can get it out of the way and move on to other interesting things, like, say, the destruction of the monasteries or the pilgrimage of grace. As always, you can contact me at the blog, which is http colon slash slash englandcast.blogspot.com. I've been meaning to add in links for each episode and just haven't had a chance yet, but we'll start doing so this week. So there should be some good information there so you can explore more on the web. Thanks again for listening. Blown on the wind, a central baby sweating. Blown on the wind, blow, blow, blow. Ich hoorde boord in bouwerbriek, dat soel is hem lees ontzicht. Mens voel meiden of licht, ver en vreed te vonden, in al die zwaar vliegen wonden.